This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 96 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on free feeds, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review, share on social media if you feel so inclined. It helps other folks discover it as well. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this. And do not forget that it is only by going to Patreon.com forward slash the best seats and signing up at a monthly amount that makes the most sense to you that you can get early ad free listening a week before the public as well as exclusive access to the post show limited blog content new episodes of the past and even more again that is only for patreon subscribers and thank you to all of you who do subscribe but let's jump into this episode my guest for this one is david yardley of moon goat coffee in costa mesa i wanted to sit down because Well, again, Costa Mesa, this is Orange County, right? This is the land. This is the birthplace of the soccer bomb, the minivan brigade, the school runs. This is, there's a, you know, this joke of obviously of LA is that there's a Starbucks in every corner. Well, there's kind of one of those down here in Orange County as well. And the same could be said for Southern California as a whole. When I first moved to Southern California, uh, for anybody who knows the show Weeds, it was on Showtime years and years ago. Um, I got out here and I was looking for new shows to watch. I started watching the, watching the very first season and holy cow, I'm like, oh my God, I moved into that neighborhood. It was just Southern California dialed up to 11. Everybody needs their morning coffee run. So I wanted to sit down with David to talk about what is it like to launch an independent coffee place? What is it like to launch your own brand in this sea of just kind of, I don't know, some places that I just think are average and then to do it incredibly well because spoiler alert, If you have not experienced Moon Goat yet, you really need to. It is phenomenal. From the beans to the food to the atmosphere, it's everything that you want in a proper coffee house. What is it like to bring that vision to life? What is it like to compete with all those other people around you? And then especially to do it in Costa Mesa, where if you open up Google Maps and you're looking for something, it seems like there's an independent coffee roaster every block. So how do you get your name out there? How do you compete And what is it like to kind of be in that community? I mean, a high tide raises all ships, so it's got to be something that they're doing right because Moon Goat is making a name for itself. They're doing it very, very quickly, and him and his team are really, really crushing it. So we sit down for this episode to talk about how the vision came to life, surviving kind of the pandemic while launching something that is also being dealt with with shipping issues, ecological issues, ethical issues. I mean, coffee is a very divisive thing. There are farming practices and people can take advantage of that. Anybody who's listened to the show, I've talked about this in the spirits industry a little bit. Well, the coffee industry deals with this even more. So what is it like 
to not just launch a coffee brand and a coffee company, but launch one that's really good. Well, that's what we're diving into on this episode of the Best Seeds Podcast with the owner of Moongo Coffee, David Yardley. Enjoy. David, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down today, um, having me up at Moongo Coffee here in Costa Mesa. Very excited to kind of hear your story, your background, and see why you guys are just packed to the gills right now with people and pretty much consistently always are. But before we dive into any of the other things that I do want to talk about, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little bit of your background? Absolutely. My pleasure. My name is David Yardley, one of the founders of Moongoat Coffee here in Costa Mesa. And I accidentally opened a coffee shop, to be sure. I had no intention of doing so five years ago. If you'd talked to me, I would have been a career coffee person, but definitely not a proprietor of a coffee shop and especially not in the retail space. But my background is definitely in hospitality. That's where I grew up in the industry. Uh, I worked for one of the earliest roasters in Costa Mesa, uh, Diedrich Coffee. So that was my first job in high school. But that was back in the day when coffee shops had pretzels turning like a gas station. It was a very different time. Uh, So his first job, I got a real job in IT, thought that that's what I was going to do. Then the Great Recession happened. I got laid off. I was looking for a job. My old manager was working at Starbucks. I got a job with her. I really actually did grow up at Starbucks. I knew there was better coffee, but Starbucks was a great company. Worked there for nine years. Uh, Started as a barista and was there for about a year as a barista. Got into a management training program and ended up as a supply chain manager, buying and selling a lot of different things for uh, the retail stores, of course. Um, But, you know, at the end of it, I was talking about containers and almost shiploads of product uh, that, that I was doing. And then I was getting really back into coffee. I uh, got educated at UC Davis in their coffee science program, Mm -hmm. which was a rad experience. And um, I was super passionate about that, considering going into education even. Uh, And I was took a time off and was helping the family business and thought, you know, just quit Starbucks had a friend said, you got to find this guy who wants to open up a coffee shop. And so he got introduced to me, Mark Evans, our fellow founder, and he really was passionate about the retail thing, changed my mind about moving into education or into coffee science in general, and uh, said, hey, man, you know how to roast coffee? I had roasted coffee in my garage for the past 10 years. Let's open a coffee shop. So here we are, you know, about four years later from that, we did it. And uh, we've got a growing retail brand. We've got a couple shops and a, and a good little wholesale distribution arm as well. I, mean, I mentioned kind of right off the bat that we're here in Costa Mesa. Costa yes, Mesa, sir. for whatever reason, seems to have, and, and I could be wrong, but my gut tells me that this is one of the highest concentrations of kind of independent roasters kind of in the area. I mean, yep. it, it, and I want to focus on you guys, but what is it about this area that brings in coffee places. You know what? I was talking about this with a friend this morning, even actually saying, you know, what is the biggest thing that creates the environment for a coffee shop that is independent, Mm -hmm. higher end than a Starbucks? Because Starbucks has evolved into a yuppie uh, yuppie convenience store. It's what 7-Eleven is to the upper echelon of middle class. So it, it, it is certainly evolved, but we're even thankfully a step above that if for my culinary sense I, I love that we're a step above that and there is a great peer group here I, I think about neat coffee daydream coffee bad kit they are all so close that they could be deemed as competition however it is truly one of those things where we have created an environment 
where you have more higher class coffee drinkers than you would in a typical concentration. And I think it's just people that are, that you've got two working professionals in the house. They don't have time to brew coffee at home. They have enough expendable income to enjoy something that's a little mm -hmm. bit nicer. It's a treat, right? So I think that they find uh, a little bit of, you know, solace from their daily chaos coming in and getting a cup of coffee or lunch or brunch or whatever it might be. Well, I mean, it's kind of been an interesting evolution the past couple of years, and a couple of other media outlets have talked about this, where it's almost kind of like people who drink wine or spirits. Yep. They're learning that there's more out there than brand X. You yeah. know, and, and we're not going to kick the horse wads down, but we use Starbucks as the example because that's what we're using. <laughs> and if anybody from Starbucks legal department is listening, this isn't jest, so relax. Um, but there's people want more. They want yeah. to experience more. Yep. They want to try different beans. They want to have different experiences. Yes. They don't just want the kind of Domino's experience of, okay, you're going to pump out this flavor. You're more of a technology company than a food company. I want something different. I right. want something better. Right. And I think wine's the perfect example. Wine or beer, because they, yeah. there are three beverages, wine, beer, coffee, that are all addictive, all delicious, and all have an amazing backstory with history of producers and different things. The difference between beer and wine and coffee, in my opinion, is that beer and wine are grown in the first world and coffee is not. Yeah, Coffee does not grow in any of the places where it's drunk judiciously in germany the second biggest country that drinks coffee no coffee's grown in the u.s no coffee's grown i mean not commercially hawaii santa barbara these are cool hobbies for rich mm -hmm. people the, the majority of the coffee is grown in brazil vietnam ethiopia colombia and so it's an interesting thing because the producers don't have nearly as much uh, i guess ability to tell their story that, yeah. that winemakers do However, you know, the difference between wine and coffee is that wine, you're trying to take a grape juice and, and, and uh, influence the seeds contact on it. With coffee, you're trying to take a fruit and extract the seed and not have the fruit juice make an impact or make the right impact. Yeah. So it's literally just, you know, you're trying to get different things out of a very similar plant. Princess plants, heirloom varieties. You know, they, they take a lot of care. They take a lot of, you know, preparation to get from the seed to the cup. Mm -hmm. Right before the shutdown, I was working on a freelance piece about another independent roaster up here in Costa Mesa. Um, and it was really an experience for me because I'm more of the kind of casual, okay, it's, it, I haven't had my fix yet. Give me the caffeine. Yep. I got to go. I got to yep. go. I got to go. But I, it really helped me develop a, kind of a bigger appreciation for it. Um, some friends were nice enough during the shutdown to like drop off coffee with different food orders and things like that. Totally. When you guys started this, how do you go about sourcing kind of your beans? I mean, how do you, what's the first pro I mean, it's a little, it's a little different than, Hey, let's open this and just bring stuff in because I'm assuming you want to deliver that experience that is Absolutely. giving you your reputation. How do you go about finding your product? I mean, that is the biggest thing that I spend my time doing. That is where I spend the majority of my time is interfacing with small businesses halfway across the world. And so we produce or we, we represent producers from 15 different countries and uh, sometimes multiple lots from each country. So, you know, we just got Costa Rica arrivals. We visited Costa Rica and spent time with two different families out there, the Oviedo family and the uh, Bias Yosta family. And they both produce amazing lots of coffee. And as we start to grow and, you know, we're buying 30 bags of 150 pounds of coffee from them, which is small in the coffee industry. Yeah. We, we, you know, we roast a container every six months right now, which is about 37,000 pounds every six months, which sounds like a lot. We're baby. Like if you're talking about microbrewery status, we're nanobrewery. Yeah. Right. And, and the coffee industry is a bunch of nanobreweries with the big boys. And, and there's a huge disparity between, but that's a great example of it's a 
great relationship for us. We don't spend a ton of money, but we're a valued client of theirs. And we're honored to be able to tell their story of these generational farmers who are sticking with it. And there's a crisis in the coffee industry in that the average age of a coffee farmer is 63. That's not getting any younger either. No. That's uh, that's a dangerous age, and you want to encourage the children of farmers and and people to say, "Hey, there is this industry. There's a pathway where the average cost of the coffee we buy is over three times what even the fair trade value is of coffee." So, because we can present it in a way that is more similar to beer or wine than it is to, "I just need my fix and I gotta go," you get that capacity to actually change people's lives halfway across the world. And so, you know, every month there's a new country that comes up on the harvest because it's grown literally around the world. We're, we're sitting in a room where you've got a map and you can see the belt and it is every continent uh, besides Antarctica and Europe, actually. Antarctica and Europe, the only two that don't grow coffee, but North America, South America, Africa, Asia, and uh, and even in Australia, they do grow coffee, but it's more of a hobby than it is a, a real fair. product. I mean, there's no way to talk about coffee itself without talking about the fact that we are talking about drastically different locations, socioeconomically, yeah. politically, yeah. things like that. I mean, yep. fair trade is obviously a word and a term that is thrown around a lot when you're talking about a product like this. Totally. How do you go about navigating those waters and making sure that, hey, you know, we need to have a business, we need to pay our bills, we would like to at least make some sort of sure. a living for ourselves, yep. but we do have an ethical responsibility to these producers and farmers. Yeah, and that's so tricky because the education for consumers is that fair trade means something, organic means something. And in this industry, they mean so much less than they do in other industries, although I'm sure other industry leaders would come on and say, you're wrong about that. I, I really believe that the biggest thing you can do is is for us, there's a huge initiative to, to be part of the transparency and supply chain partnership. So we even have, we published a prospectus to say, this is how much we did pay for our coffee on average. So that you can see, hey, this much went to the farmer and we'll even say, you know, what's our markup on it? We have to be transparent about it because yeah. that's the only way you're gonna have, you know, future growth in this industry and, and or even sustainability and not, not the like buzzword sustainability. We're talking about like, literally keeping people doing the product, you know, that we all enjoy every day. Yeah. And boy, do we enjoy a lot of it. Yeah. When you went about designing kind of the space, I mean, you know, you, you guys have mentioned what it's four years is what you said. Yeah. We, we opened at the end of 2019. We started the brand in 2018. Uh, and, and we started as just a roaster. It literally my garage in Costa Mesa with a cottage license. So we, we went from there to, uh, to, to, keep the people that were buying it or not buying it, probably taking it for the most part. <laughs> and my, my wife uh, gave me an ultimatum that said, hey, this has either got to be a hobby or a business and it either needs to get smaller to be a hobby or bigger to be a business. So, Boy, can I really identify with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a warehouse space in Santa Ana and we started looking for retail spaces. And uh, so we, we had a great little following as a wholesaler. We had uh, got Eat Chow as, a, as our kind of marquee client at that point. Mm -hmm. um, as as a restaurant in, in Costa Mesa yep. and a few others that that had had come along with us uh, that had been with us for forever. So um, you know we we had something to do, and then uh, and then when we opened the retail space, we had a lot more to do. So how I mean, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the the kind of elephant in the room that was 2020. How was it being a new business and navigating those waters? Because it's one thing to turn it from a hobby yep. into a career, but yep. then all of a sudden 
everything kind of shifts. I think it's harder to get from zero to 10 than 10 to 30 miles an hour, right? There's the, there's that latent, uh, latency of heat example where it's a lot easier for ice to melt than for water to boil. Yeah. So, uh, as we all know, uh, but, uh, getting started was harder than navigating 2020, in my opinion. Not that I would wish COVID again on anybody. It was a horrible time for the hospitality industry specifically. I am grateful that I was in problem solving mode from day one of the pandemic because I had just opened up a retail location. I was trying to get our systems in place. I was trying to keep the, <laughs> the bathrooms clean. And, uh, and you know, then you're like, oh, I guess we have to wear masks, go outside, start dropping off things to people's houses and uh, no contact gloves. We were doing everything right through the kitchen sink at it at first. And, and I look back at those times as relatively fondly just because gosh it was it was the worst of times and the best of times you know you were tightening it with your quarantine is what we called them hey we're gonna you know if we go down we're gonna have to shut if one of us gets sick the whole business yep. shuts down everybody right? had, that's yep. that's everybody what we had a buddy were, system we were prepared for that right and and we had shifts where it's like you know for two weeks these people work together then we test and swap and then those two the, so we we came up with systems it was crazy it was weird but it was fun that's awesome when it comes to building a retail space, when it comes to building out, you know, a coffee shop, the 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 stereotype is it's just you know an island for laptops where yeah, people occasionally yeah. swap eye contact and, and <laughs> sip on caffeine. But you know, setting up the equipment today, you guys are packed. You guys are consistently very busy. I mean, this is yeah. it, it is more than that. But how do you design a great kind of coffee spot? I think the best thing to do is to try to design it around what people want uh, to to experience. So for us, we were really thinking about the space very organically. We, you know, before we started construction, we taped off the floor, we taped off seating areas, and and we had people walk in and say, "Does this feel right? Does this feel good?" Um, and and frankly. We did it all wrong uh, just because we thought this was going to not be nearly as busy as it was. And we were going to continue to do the wholesale operation out of here. We have since opened up a wholesale facility on its own in Santa Ana. And, uh, and you know, even that's packed to the gills, right? So yeah. uh, I say the biggest tip for anybody doing retail is have a plan A and it's a lot easier to come up with plan B when you have plan A. But be flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. <laughs> I, I'm not much for quoting the Bible, but that's my first opinion, so that's for sure. Now that you guys are kind of really up and going, kind of past COVID, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> what is kind of like when you walk in every day and yep. you're looking around and you're just kind of like checking on business, things like that, what are some of the biggest differences that you see or maybe things that you didn't expect when you were kind of first starting out and setting up the space? You know, you kind of already mentioned that some things you envisioned were a little different. But what yep. are some of the things that you walk in every day and you're like, man, I'm so glad that that turned out the way it did. Never <laughs> thought that would be that way. Well, I mean, post COVID, the, the reality of it is that COVID did change the way that people consume products mm -hmm. entirely. So for us, in, in some ways, the work from home uh, trend and maybe revolution has changed the way that people consume. It's been later. People come into coffee shops later. People work from home from our coffee shop. That That's something that I knew would be a small percentage of our business, but I did not nearly expect it to be the level that it is. Um, you know, so I, I guess what I'm grateful for is that we did get a big space. Uh, it's it, sometimes you want to grow into, you know, you want to be able to grow out of your space and sometimes you want to be able to grow into your space. Yeah. Uh, we, we came into this thinking that we could have multi-use and, and I'm just glad that we 
converted as much as we have to seating. We have over 100 seats in total, patio and in. And there are oftentimes on a Friday, you know, Thursday, we're pretty close to full. We're 70%, 60%. On a Friday, we'll be 100% full at least multiple times throughout the day. So what is full capacity for you guys here? I mean, we'll have 120 people. That is a lot of people hanging around. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, borderline too many, right? How, how do you do last call at a coffee shop? Do you turn the Wi-Fi off? <laughs> yeah, you, tu- you do turn the Wi-Fi. <laughs> We're sitting in our office right now, and there is a Wi-Fi kill switch. Like, quite literally, <laughs> we have a Wi-Fi that's kill awesome. switch because there are times where w- we had a uh, <laughs> something happen where, you know, I, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but I remember the fire department said, hey, you got to get everybody out. We, we had a, a, an emergency in the parking lot, right? You know, like, got, everybody got to get out. And you're like, Hey, everybody, uh, we need you to leave. Everybody's still typing on their laptop. Yeah, they're like, hang on, I'm not done with this scene yet. My report's not not (laughs) in yet. So the Wi-Fi kill switch is a necessary thing. So for anybody who wants to open a coffee shop, you need one of those. (laughs) Wi-Fi kill switch, yep. I mean, there's obviously more here, though, than the coffee. Um, I want to talk about your food program. Yeah. Because it's more, I mean, you mentioned back in the day, it was, you know, the the pretzels on a rotating thing. I mean, (laughs) you know, those old school coffee straw, you know, where you walk in and it was like, you get coffee and that is it. And Uh and you get out. How do you go about, I mean, what were some of the, first of all, did you ever envision having kind of a kitchen program like you have now? And then also, how did it get? Yeah. Yeah. And, And what's great is that we, we've, Got a great story behind that. When we were roasting in the warehouse in Santa Ana, I met uh, an awesome person. Her name's Timber. She is the manager at Daydream Coffee Shop now and uh, worked with us for the first couple of years and great experience working with her. She really pitched us on having a food program. And we, you know, we even, uh, we, we considered a couple other options. We were thinking, you know, we've got to have, you got to have food, you got to have pastries. Yeah. But Timber pitched us on having a bakery built in and uh, really helped us get it started really helped us hone what we wanted to do. And Becca, who's now our GM at Costa Mesa, even picked up the reins from her and took it even a step further. Uh, But, you know, you get nowhere without standing on the shoulders of giants, right? So uh, you got to give shout out, praise where praise is due. And she really pitched us on having, uh, we have house-made sourdough, that's kind of our calling card. And we don't have a large menu, but I think everything on it is good. We have a lunch service that runs from 10 to 2, a brunch service that runs similarly on the week weekends and mm-hmm. then we have pastries that augment it around but you know it's a dozen items at most it's not a, a bake case full of different things but yeah. they're damn good options that are uh, in every category you would need and we try to push your boundaries a little bit we'll try to make you be brave and adventurous and maybe something that you're not used to eating uh, every once in a while and we'll try and recommend that because those are the fun things how did you guys go about designing the menu? Because like you said, you know, this is a spot where people come, you'll be at full capacity. I mean, you guys will yep. be busy, but people are coming later. These are people mm-hmm. that may, they just come here and they do their work all day or something like that. So the standard kind of, you know, morning egg sandwich may not translate so well to kind of your 2 p.m., 3 right. p.m. crowd. How do you right. guys design that menu to facilitate an all-day service? And I think the best thing is you just get the best ingredients you can that have a ton of flexibility. So, right, we already have the base one. We've got that sourdough that is awesome, mm-hmm. that is a great foundation. And then you do have some eggs, but we don't do the traditional egg sandwich. And and we'll do hot eggs only on the weekends. We'll do the brunch eggs, and, and those are awesome. And even then, we try not to do the scrambled egg, you know, 
Filipino or egg patty disc thing, we'll try and do, you get an over easy egg, please, or, you know, a sunny side up egg, because those are the way that you can get the, the great textures between a hard white and a, a runny yolk and yeah. awesome eating experience and try to recommend it for here. And it, it's been a challenge, but now food is 30 to 40% of our business. So it's a significant amount. You know, it's not nearly a restaurant, but we're a cafe that, that has a great food business. And, you know, the, the team here now, uh, Josh Bissett and uh, Carolyn Prescott and, and Becca Macias, they are the ones that are really keeping it alive. And I love to just eat what they're creating. You know, it's one of those things where I'll give them some some boundaries, but in reality, they're doing the hard work, the heavy lifting of, of keeping it fresh, keeping it rotated every quarter, using seasonal ingredients, using tomatoes in the summer and then not tomatoes in the winter, yeah. right? So it's it's a great uh, it's a great balance and and it's awesome to be able to delegate something I can stay focused on coffee and they can have something where they can really run with it. And it's really, really good. And for anybody who's listening who has not been in, please come in because you're missing out by not coming in and trying the food because it is really good. Uh, but you did mention, you know, that it's it, 40%. I mean, that's a lot of business. Huge. So is it still just a coffee spot or is it a cafe? I mean, has it, <laughs> I, I has think it evolved? It is. I think it has evolved. It is a cafe. And, and for us, because we're open so late, we're open till 10 and sometimes 11 p.m., you have to have those options that aren't just a breakfast sandwich yeah and you know a croissant you people want something that's a little bit more hearty and because of the you know the nature of what we're doing it has to be dead simple it has to be executable over long periods of time your service windows when you do hot eggs and things like that need to be tight because you can't have that, you know, till midnight and expect quality, right? Yeah. You, you just quickly turn into Denny's. So, and no shade to Denny's. I've been calling out a lot of corporate culture. There's a time <laughs> and a place for Starbucks and Denny's. There and is. we're glad that they there exist as, as bastions of, uh, of retail food and restaurant success. I, I, I have fond yet blurry memories of many a 2 a.m. stop in, in Denny's of yes. different cities. So, yes. yeah, no knock against that. Um, Quick, I mean, quick ticket times are obviously essential. Yep. This food all pretty much can come out pretty fast. Yep. Everybody's heard that stereotypical story of like the LA barista who takes 19 yes. minutes and does yes. all the, you know, the foam arts and everything else. I mean, <laughs> when it comes to the actual coffee service, right? you know, there's the places that have like the double siphon filters and all the things, sure. you know, all the sure. technologies that I probably even got wrong. Bessie.com slash you're wrong. You can tell me what I got wrong coffee wise. How do you keep that quick? I mean, because there are still those people yes. yep. that are like, I need it. I got to go. And what's great is when we draw inspiration for even our line design or our restaurant design, mm -hmm. whatever it might be, we try to look as broad as we possibly can because oftentimes the answer is not in the industry that you're working in. I could, I've learned more from watching an, a bartender than I have from watching a barista do things. And our ticket times right now from the time you order your transactions closed to picking up is not incredibly quick it's five minutes 30 seconds last month that's fine it, yeah, yeah it's, it's decent and our goal is seven minutes door to door we want you to be able to walk in the door and seven minutes later you're walking out with what you need and we found that that's the magic number for us to keep the quality of the level we want and to keep that la 19 minute barista <laughs> you know trope <laughs> at bay yeah uh and, and so you know, the funny thing is with food and coffee, you'll often get these baristas who want to pour the beautiful latte art and then they execute an avocado toast. And I almost tell them, hey, look, the avocado toast is $11. Pretend that you're pouring an $11 latte as you're assembling this avocado toast. I want it to be as beautiful as the latte you're doing. Yeah. And 
let's dial back that latte. <laughs> Service pours, right? So, so we talk about that. But some of the things we built into the system that have really helped us that are kind of backwards, but, but I'd like to brag about because they're a sustainability thing and they're an efficiency thing, is we don't do any milk in gallons. It all comes bag and box. So it comes in a bag and box dispenser that you're used to seeing in your school cafeteria or mm -hmm. soup plantation. We actually bought them from a defunct soup plantation during the pandemic. Nice. So you, you baristas do not have to reach in under the counter. The one bag and box has as much plastic as one gallon of milk, but holds six gallons of milk. That's awesome. So you have the that kind of ability to dispense milk at your, your request. And we do the same thing for our oat and almond milk. They're in a Krathco stirring vessel that stirs them so that they don't separate and keeps them very chilled. It's safe for milk, but we use it just for the alternative milks. And we make the alternative milks here, so there's not a lot of waste in the cartons there. And then they're all above counter. So we're trying to keep our baristas from getting barista back. Yeah. So when it comes. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me relooking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R. Dot com today. Once again, that's Heirloom Potager. If you listen to the best seats at all, or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. A mass botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly, if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up, any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to Amass.com and using the discount code, THEBESTSEATS15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to Amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, -S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Back. Yeah. So when it comes to the coffee menu itself, um, 
I mean, is it pretty simple? I mean, is it just kind of like six or seven heavy hitters? Or do you have that ability for people to come in and be like, no, I need like the double with the light, with the whip, with the no, but the, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. Uh, coffee shops like a bar. Yeah. People are going to order what they know to order. Yep. You know, if you're at a bar and you don't have an old fashioned on the menu, guess what? You're still going to get old fashioned orders, whether or not you like it. And same thing applies to us, right? You have to train the classics, even if they're not on our menu. And we make a lot of things off menu every day. So we have that capacity and we have the few consistent things, really two or three drinks we keep on the menu year round. I, I joke oftentimes with the staff when they want to create a new menu item or we're trying to launch something new. I have to say, remember the churro pays our paychecks. It's our caramel, <laughs> vanilla, cinnamon lace drink that is just a latte. It's delicious. It's caramelized condensed milk with espresso and milk. What could go wrong, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a delicious drink. And we can never take it off our menu. It, it really is our number one drink by far in a way. So we, we have those heavy hitters. They, they'll they never leave. We rotate different things. We've got a strawberry cold foam for the summer. It's great on matcha. It's okay on coffee. People like the, <laughs> the visual interest and appeal. And it's a fun flavor. So, you know, that's what's cool. What we do is we do a quarterly contest with our staff. And whoever makes the uh, the winning drink gets $100 and, and gets to, you know, have bragging rights. right? That's awesome. So And they're their drinks on the menu for three months. So super fun. I know during the shutdown, um, I talked to a couple of bartender friends. They were saying that when they got their regulars back, when they reopened, mm. all of a sudden people were coming in with these drink orders of stuff they had made at home, or maybe they looked into actual bartending books and all of a sudden yeah. they were getting more Negroni orders. They were getting more daiquiri more, orders right? the way God intended they should be <laughs> drinking. Um, have you seen that? Any changes with the way that people are consuming coffee? Not just in kind of where they're sticking around coming in later, like we mentioned earlier, but like what they're consuming. Absolutely. I mean, are you I, I, just a crowd of Americanos that you didn't have before? True. I, I think that we were already trending that way. I think the younger generation cares more about what they're drinking and eating. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, you know, they're as happy just having what's on the menu or yeah. knowing just the bare basics. It's about not what just your ordering. grandfather's like black coffee sludge out of the pot. Exactly. Like, yeah. And I see a lot more... Even even for that, I see a lot more people drinking black coffee, black cold coffee. That's our biggest growing drink over the last six months was just cold brew. And I looked at the, you know, the sales report. It's like most people are not putting cream and sugar in it. You know, they're, they're not requesting it. So, um, you know, I think that we are in a great revival of people coming back to try and do different things. However, you know, I always say that there are two types of businesses. There are pro agenda businesses and there are pro enjoyment businesses. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. I think of the great restaurants that we all know and, and idolize, the French Laundry, Alinea, these bastions of Michelin success, and their pro agenda, right? You have to go in and follow their directions for yeah. everything. You have to, you know, be etiquette to the t to the nines with those restaurants and then you've got the the places like the uh the bagel shop that will you know do anything you want on your bagel right basically pro enjoyment to the max mom and pop great love them both for different reasons yeah and for us we say we got to strike a balance and if anything we have to be on the side of pro enjoyment because our agenda is to get people to think about their coffee and you don't get that by bashing them over the head with it. You have to be a great neighborhood cafe in order for people to trust you to give them some education about the product it is that you're selling. Yeah. I mean, the evolution of the business is obviously going from your garage to a full on business. You're distributing. This started as a coffee shop, now a cafe. I mean, yeah. where does it kind of go from here? 
It's a great question. I think we'll have a couple more retail locations in the next few years, but we don't want to do huge retail expansion. We don't want to be 10, 15 stores. We don't want to follow in the footsteps of what Starbucks did. God bless them. But we want to really focus on wholesale distribution, be great wholesale partners. And the way that I look at it is that the only way the industry moves forward is that if you keep it a very local thing, you keep it something where you serve your community mm-hmm. really well, you vote with your dollars in the way you want things to go, and continue to just be an advocate for better and uh, coffee across the world. And our mission statement is simple. It's make coffee better, easier daily. And I tell my team, substitute that word coffee with whatever it is you're doing, dishes, bread, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Make what you're doing a little bit better than you did yesterday or make it easier so you can make it better tomorrow. Right. I mean, one of the obvious things that I've got to ask, though, talking about something where you are sourcing it from, you know, I think you said 15 different countries at yep. this point, and none of them are exactly super close, nope. is the number one thing that a lot of restaurants are talking about outside of hiring issues is supply chain issues. Yes. Cost of products, things yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. what's that experience been like for you? The good news is coffee became a supply chain problem on March 15th, 2020. So we had a huge heads up on this is going to be chaos for the next three years. Yeah. We knew that as soon as they stopped having cargo ships come in. So we had a little bit of a head start and it's been great because our communication with these partners halfway across the world. I talked to every single producing partner at least a few times a year and heavily around the times where the coffee's going to ship from their country and when the coffee's arriving to our country yeah. so that there's a good amount of two-way communication and usually about harvest, you know, germination time when they're planting seeds, all that, just to get a prognostication of what's going to happen. Because even though you may have a country report, the farm on the in the country may be having a good or bad year despite what is going around yeah. in the world. So uh, it, it's a very localized thing in that way. And um, what's great is, you know, I knew price of fertilizer had gone up for these folks and you know that these prices are going to go high. And really for us, it, it's been awesome because for some of them, we're supporting them in the lean times and they'll support us when it, you know, when our times get lean again. So whatever problems we're having anywhere where they produce most of the food that we eat, it's even worse. So, you know, the supply chain there, the problems they're having are, are, are much worse. Everything's slow. The, the harvest, uh, you know, chart, we've got a harvest chart here in the office too. The harvest chart's wrong. <laughs> All the months are, are <laughs> off by, by at least three months. So, you know, we're getting Guatemala next month and it's like that usually comes in March or April. And are you guys also seeing any kind of repercussions, not to make it political, but with climate issues? I mean, whether people are kind of, you know, how is that affecting anything you're dealing with? Totally. And, and I say, you know, for us, uh, we don't ever make statements, political, religious, mm-hmm. we're ambivalent. What we like to do even is we'll host the conversation. We'll be great mediators. We'll be great, you know, people who will let you make the decision. We've even had them. We've had we've had some political debates at nighttime in our com- in our coffee shop, which has been awesome. However, to me, with climate change, it's it's not a political thing. It's just a matter of coffee is getting harder to grow. Yeah. So it, it, whether or not you believe in climate change, something's making coffee harder to grow, and we yeah. want to fix that. Something that is making coffee harder to grow. It's it's an increase in pests because pests usually were found, you know, at low growing uh, ranges, and coffee's grown almost exclusively a mile above sea level. It's 
crazy high. Um, you know, we don't really buy any coffee that's grown below uh, 1,300 meters above sea level, which is damn near close to a mile above sea level yeah. and up. You know, some of our coffee, we have a coffee right now that's grown 2,700 meters above sea level. That's like that's nearly high. two miles, that's right? Yeah. That's super high. That's a Denver on top of a Denver. <laughs> yeah, it's a Denver on top of a Denver. We're talking Breckenridge Heights. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we buy coffee from all across the world. That's, that's in East Africa where you do have those crazy mountain ranges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but, but pests are getting found higher and higher. It used to be that they just didn't have pests. It was too high. You know, coffee's a princess plant. It loves being in its perfect zone. Doesn't like pests, doesn't like fungus. That stuff's coming because it's coming up the mountain. It's getting higher and higher. So climate change or just fungus that's becoming antifungal and uh, and pests that are becoming, anti, you know, being able to respond to pesticides even better. Uh, they're, they're coming up the, the mountain. So it is getting trickier. And the way that I look at it is that, you know, this is a career industry for me. I will die a coffee person at this point. So I, I look at it as there will be one of two things that will happen. You know, there will be something that happens to help the coffee industry on the growing side or coffee will become more and more special. And I'm I'm settled on probably coffee becoming more and more special. And I almost appreciate that because as a purveyor of something that is already special, becoming more special just makes it an even better opportunity for me to talk about it and to have a, an audience that's willing to listen because their 7-Eleven coffee just got real expensive. That's true. It did. That Dunkin' Donuts is hitting a little differently now. Um, the last thing I do want to ask, and, and I'm going to keep you around for a bonus episode um, where I'm going to ask a, about a couple of other things, including avocado toast. But the last <laughs> thing that I want to ask about kind of before we wrap up this main episode is I know we kind of bashed on corporate culture a little bit sure. in the episode, but look, Starbucks is successful for a reason. And Very I know they're so. under scrutiny for union issues and things like that. But look, it's a big brand and they did it Absolutely. for a damn good reason. Yep. You were there nearly a decade. Yes. What are some of the lessons you learned from a business that successful that you've incorporated here? Oh, that's a great question because, you know, I, I do bash Starbucks, but with the other side of my mouth, always try to say, we would not even be here without Starbucks. I, it's, it's, you can say the same thing about Chipotle, Dunkin' sure. Donuts. I mean, look, these brands are where they're at for a reason. Love them or hate them, you got to respect the hustle. And they have created a culture where yeah. you do go outside of your house for coffee. Right. Yep. So that's that's something that we have to be grateful in the coffee industry for a brand like Starbucks, as much as we may bash them and as much as union busting is a despicable act. Right. Mm -hmm. Nobody nobody actually likes union busting. If you're unionizing, it's probably a reason you're unionizing. Yeah. Right. So it's usually not because they're being so nice and offering raises and all sorts of things. It's usually <laughs> the other way, way too around. Generous. We got to nip this in the bud. <laughs> and, and I left Starbucks. I, I, I think I left in 2014. It, thereabouts, right? So it's been a little bit since, I, since I've worked at Starbucks, so I can't speak to the culture now, but it was a great employer when I worked there. They gave me a shot when they're, you know, of joining a management program, trained me, they paid for my college education, you know, not, I, I not have, like I have several friends who actually they paid for their education. And so not through, respect. and this is even now they, they do it pretty much automatically, but mm -hmm. this is before they even had the ASU program. They, they sponsored my uh, education, which was an amazing thing for them to do as a, as a company. And they really give you a sense of rigor. Now, what I have done is I have definitely thrown away a lot of the unnecessary, not unnecessary, the necessary when you have 15,000 locations, yeah. but unnecessary when you have less than five, uh, sort of rigor that you w can apply to work, but just the regimented, the way that I 
even look at work is awesome. They do a great job of teaching you how to discipline in a work-life balance to your career. So, you know, when you go through a training program like they do, you can apply those lessons no matter what industry you're in. My dad's got an engineering firm and, uh, and when, whenever I talk with him, it's like, gosh, our businesses are more similar than they are different. As weird as that is, all businesses more similar than it's different. You got people, you got a product, you got places that you're trying to take care of or outfit, and you've got vendors and suppliers that need to get paid. You've got employees that you need to really take care of. Yeah. And, uh, and cause you know, they're the heart of the business. So in, in that way, every business is, is really similar. And, uh, companies like that, they're, they're successful for reasons. So you can learn a lot. And even for somebody, anytime somebody says they want to open up a coffee shop, if they're in industry, usually the answer is great. The more people doing something great and presenting a good product, the better it only has a rising tide that floats all ships in that respect. Mm -hmm. If you've never been in industry, my first piece of advice is don't even think about it until you've worked for at least a year in any food service industry. Doesn't even matter. Go be a busser, you know, yeah. do something. Yeah. Get your feet wet and kind of understand it. You gotta, you gotta know what kind of industry you're getting into it. That's where not all business is similar. Food service is not cut out for everybody. No, it is a different animal entirely. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking coffee, bars, restaurants, resort, whatever it is. Yep. Um, I'm going to wrap up this main episode and keep you around for a bonus one. But before I let you go, if people want to check out Moon Goat, if they want to come here, if they want to check you guys out on like social media, websites, things like that, where can people do that at? Absolutely. I would just say Moon Goat Coffee on all platforms. We've got a little bit of a TikTok following uh, garnering. So that's the fun one. And uh, of course, Instagram is where we post most of our official updates. The TikTok's more for fun. And yeah. uh, moongoat.com is our website. And then I have to give a plug that we're going to be at the OC Fair for the whole uh, time. That's so, right. Yeah. Time of this recording, OC Fair, what, two days away? Yeah, One day? two days Something away. Like yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So yeah. if you're listening on free feeds later on, OC Fair will be um, underway by the time that this hits free feeds. So definitely go over and check them out there. Yeah, check us out there. And if not, we've got a shop in Costa Mesa and one in Garden Grove and hopefully one coming near you soon. But if you come in on the Wi-Fi is off, leave because that means they're closed. <laughs> Thank you so much for the time, man. This was fun. Of course. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to David for taking the time to sit down. Um, we jumped, you know, we were obviously at Moongo when we recorded that. Middle of a busy day. They were setting up for the OC Fair, which was launching in a day or two. A lot going on. So I am super, super appreciative of him for taking the time to reach out and connect and to have me over, um, feed me, and God bless him for giving me coffee because that's something that we can all use probably way more than we should have, but boy, is it good. Thank you to everybody who supports on Patreon. I could not do this without you. Thank you if you are listening on free feeds as well. I still love you too. Don't worry. Um, thank you again to my friend, Ali Coyle. Thank you to the advertisers for the show. And once again, just thank you to David. Thank you to everybody else who is continuing to hustle, continue to bust their chops. This summer has just been an absolute blur. Everybody is working so damn hard. And as we approach the 100th episode, I just want to look back and just give a massive shout out to everybody who is still out there grinding and making the hospitality community what it is. Freaking love you. Keep it up. And to all of you listening, I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. 
The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Zarino Arino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support. <laughs>